0: No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh yes! Welcome to Manchester United, Anthony Martial. Wonderful run from Giggs. Sensational goal from Ryan Giggs. Bruce, yeah, Rudy. Oh my goodness me! That is one of the strikes of the season. What a goal! And what a time! In what a place! What a player! Michael Owen! Oh, this is incredible! Fourth goals! What about that! Sheringham! Absolutely sensational! Just magnificent! Rooney! His park! It is six! The Vatol! Keith! Beckham! Into Sheringham! And so Sharon! Have reached the land. Rashford has got the dream
2: goal. Hello and welcome to Series 1, episode 13 of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. I'm Harry Robinson, and as always, I'm joined by Jack Tate as we discuss a win at home to Everton and preview the difficult away clash against title challenges Tottenham, as well as the usual news, youth, and loan roundup. Jack, not the most exciting of games, but a one 0 win against Everton off and a bogey team. Gotta be pleased, don't we?
1: Definitely. As you said, it was Quite a boring game. The time seemed to fly by without much really happening, to be honest. But no, it was, it was quite a pleasing win. Everton, I didn't know they'd only lost one away game all season before yesterday. Um, I was really shocked about that, I guess, because the focus has been on their bad home form. But yeah, you know, so they're, they're obviously a good side away from home. They have some really talented players. And I think we were all pretty worried before the game about the prospects of Lukaku and Daley Blind going up against each other. But Blind did really well. The whole team played okay. Nothing special. And. We got the win, that's the most important thing.
2: Yeah, we'll move especially onto Blind in the second. I thought he was far man of the match, although Sky and United gave it to Martial. Yeah, Everton, a lot of focus on their poor home form. And yeah, they've only lost, this is the second time they've lost away from home, but they've, they've had a lot of draws. And to stop them scoring, they're one of the top scoring sides in the league. If you think about it, they've got Lukaku, Barkley, and then you've got a really attacking right back in Seamus Coleman, who dealt with Martial quite well. But still, Martial prevailed, didn't he? Yeah, let's move on to Daily Blind. Was he your man of match as well as mine?
1: Yeah, I think think he had to be, to be honest. He did so well all day. And what I liked about it was, I think, quite a lot of centre-backs when they go up against Lukaku, they try and match him physically. And there's just no way you're going to come out on top of that unless you're as big and as strong and as quick as he is. And I don't think there's any centre-back in the the league that, that can match him in all of those assets. So what I liked about what Blind tried to do is he just accepted that he's not physically as strong as Lukaku, but he just used his reading of the game, used his footballing sense, his footballing brain, just to really play to his own strengths. Let Lukaku almost like, not dominate him, but let him use his strength where he could. There was quite a lot of times where Lukaku received the ball with his back to goal and he tried to use his strength to back into Blind. And Blind kind of stepped off him a little bit and just looked to either intercept the pass or the shot they and There was one where Lukaku received the ball in the box from Baines and Blin just did the exact exactly the right thing, didn't try and get too tight to him backed off a step and ended up blocking the show. I went out for a corner and it was that pattern kept repeating the whole game. I thought he did really, really well.
2: Yeah, similar to what Rio Ferdinand used to do. He just allowed the attacker like a yard of space. And then when they tried to push him backwards, he'd go in and reach around him and, and get the ball. And there was exactly that when Blin got slightly caught out <laughs> for pace by Lukaku. And instead he instead of getting caught out further, he just reached around his body, took the ball back and then charged forward through midfield, played out and started an attack. And for, for all of Van Gaal's faults, moving David Blind to centre-back has been a brilliant move. He's made one of the best defenders in terms of reading the game and starting attacks. That I'd say he's one of the best ball-playing centre-backs in the league at the moment.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I don't, I don't think there's any centre-back in the league. Possibly Toby Alderweireld, whose diagonal balls are just amazing. But I don't think there's any centre-back in the league that can really rival Blind in terms of his ability on the ball. Some of the passes that he picks out from the back are just brilliant. And so often, if either him or Smalling wins the ball, so often he he starts attacks for us because his passing is so much better than probably anyone else in our team, possibly bar a couple of our midfielders.
2: Yeah, and the great thing about Blind is, at times last season, I thought maybe he's not made for United, but even in centre back this season, he's really showed he still showed his versatility because he's still moving to left back at some points during the season. And plus, if we do by a centre-back in the summer, he's still an option at centre-back as a ball-playing defender. Plus, given what he showed, the qualities at centre-back, and occasionally when he's been played in midfield, he's still an okay midfielder, plus he's a left-back. So I think when we're looking at, in terms of improving the squad in the coming years a lot of people may have to be got rid of in a summer out over the next few years. But David Blin one who g- genuinely has to say he's that important to our side. He's played almost every game this season.
1: Absolutely. It's been quite remarkable, really, because as you said last season, it looked as if he was a bit of a of an odd player at United. It looked like he wasn't going to be featuring much this season. And I think we all raised our eyebrows quite a lot when Van Gaal announced that he was going to be playing at centre-back at the start of the season. <laughs> But it's been a masterstroke. Um, I'm just looking now and Daley Blinn I mean, this is according to Fox Sports, which might not be the most uh, reliable pace. But it says that Daley Blinn currently ranks ninth in the entire Premier League for possession stats. And for a centre back, I think that's quite remarkable, especially when things like assists and chances created are taken into account, which obviously you don't expect a centre back to get. So just shows you how important he's been for us this season.
2: Yeah, and Van Hal said he's only going to need two days off uh, after what looked like a Paul downstream, but isn't. So he's only going to need two days off before coming back to training, and then, then he can continue playing in every single game this season. He his corners weren't great again, and Schneiderlin had a little attempt. Let's move on to the midfield, uh, and then we'll go back to Marcus Rojo in a second. Schneiderlin. Carrick sometimes slowed down attacks, but particularly Snyderlin, vital interceptions and blocks, weren't they?
1: Yeah, I thought Schneidlin had a good game. Carrick was actually strangely sloppy in possession at times. He gave the ball away quite cheaply on a couple of occasions, which obviously isn't very like him. But they they worked pretty well as a combination. There was like a potential for quite a lot of threat against Everton. and So they have Ross Barkley, who can be a real menace at times. Aaron Lennon, especially, was coming off his wing quite a bit as well. But no, they dealt with them quite well. They were pretty good on the ball. Uh, obviously, Schneiderlin's great diagonal to Mata was kind of the the um in the build-up to the goal was amazing, and his, his diagonal passes generally this season have been really, really good. So no, I was I was pleased with the way they played. They were solid if unspectacular.
2: Moving forward, I, I thought Schneiderlin was good, but as I said, slow things down a bit. So maybe you want when Ander Herrera is coming back in the next few weeks, and he came on as a sub for Carrick, and maybe you want one of them in Herrera, as we've all asked for quite a lot this season. Moving up the pitch. Martial Rashford, they're really blossoming as a partnership. So good to watch. The great thing about Martial's goal is that if that had been at the start of the season, we would have been raving about how composed and calm and what a finish, but it's become so natural now to expect that from Martial. I think he's got three in his last four games that A brilliant finish from what you'd expect from a very experienced centre-forward is just natural for him. And then moving on to Rashford, his hold-up play was genuinely superb. We saw it against Arsenal in his first Premier League game when he held up for Herrera and then Herrera scored the third goal. Rashford's game intelligence is astoundingly good for an 18-year-old who wasn't expected to break through this season.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Martial was... A real menace all day. I know he was, a lot of people was vote for man of the match and he was definitely a contender. He would just caused Seamus Coleman problems all day. As you said, Seamus Coleman is no pushover by any means. One of the best right backs in the league and they had, they had a good battle all day, but Martial ultimately came out on top. I really like him playing in that um kind of inside left or left wing position. When he gets on the ball, it gives him a little bit more freedom because he often it doesn't have his back to goal and when he gets turned and starts running at players i mean he's almost unstoppable at times he's close dribbling especially at such a young age is just incredible and then as you said rashford was was brilliant again he's been different to what i expected actually because once i saw, after i saw him against Midtjylland um and a couple of times i've seen him before for the under 21s i expected him to just be someone who will look to run him behind all the time and although he has been doing that as well his hold up play has been a lot better than i expected he's adapted well to playing against different opposition and and having to employ kind of different tactics um, whether they're playing high lines and then running behind or as Everton were doing yesterday and he was forced to kind of take get the ball with his back to goal he's equally astute when he needs to do that and that back heel he was trying it all day I think he tried it four <laughs> times and uh, finally it came off perfectly in the lead up to the goal to uh Fosie Mensah so I was really pleased for him for that
2: Yeah it came off once before to Martial and then Martial lost the ball with about five defenders crowded around it came off then and Fosie Mensah we'll move on to him in a second with a brilliant cross to Martial to finish it off Firstly, let's go to Marcus Rojo. Noel Alberto asks, he saw an article in the week saying Rojo's been Van Hal's worst signing, which is hard when you're competing against people like Falcao and Di Maria. But is it too harsh or is it the truth? He was really quite terrible in the first half before he got taken off of Fosu Mensah.
1: I think maybe it's a little bit harsh to say he's the worst ever signing. As you said, there has been some real stinkers in, in the three or four transfer windows that Van Gaal has had. But he is definitely up there, I think. He's incredibly inconsistent. I remember, I think it was the second Manchester derby last season. I might be wrong there, but I remember him having a superb game pretty much every time the Manchester City player he was marking, I can't remember who it was now, got the ball. it was just straight in there. He was winning tackle after tackle after tackle and he had a stunning game.
2: Yeah, um, I remember one of the derbies last season he was fantastic. I assume you're about to say this and then his performance is like this and it, it it's not even just periods or, or form. It's literally one game this, one game that, one game this. And, it's quite wrong because even in the middle of the game, they'll put in this fantastic curling ball that's just waiting to be hit with a header. And then there was one where it came over, and instead of taking it down across crossing it, he tried to volley it as a shot, and it just he sliced it right into rosette
1: yeah, Absolutely, it's it's quite incredible that a player can have so many kind of ups and downs within a season, within a few weeks, within even some sometimes single games, as you said. The problem for me with Rojo is he's just a bit too rash a lot of the time. He likes to dive into challenges quite a lot. And against people like Gerard Faye who who he was playing against yesterday, that have got quick feet and have got a lot of pace, he gets caught out quite often. Often I feel when he gets the ball, he's quite one-dimensional. It's almost get the ball, receive the ball from either a centre-back or a centre-mid, open your body up and then just look to pump it down the line. I just think that he's someone who has, has never really lived up to his, I mean, he didn't have like a world-class reputation or anything when he came here, but he's, we, I think we all expect him to just progress a bit more than he has, and it's never really materialized. I mean, I guess some leeway has to be given because he's been in and out of the team a bit, he's been playing in uh, centre-back and left-back, but at the same time, I think we all expected a bit more, and rightly so, we've all been quite disappointed with him.
2: Yeah, it is harsh to call him the worst signing ever, but uh, especially for 15 million, whereas Rue is 59.7 million. But yeah, it's that inconsistency, and it just seems like, as you just mentioned, he hasn't improved at all. You'd expect, and it's the same case with Darwin in terms of his crossing, you'd expect the crossing of both of those two to have massively improved when they've been told this is in Rojo's case, so they're going to play at fullback. You'd expect them to work on their crossing and improve it, but we haven't seen it yet. Let's move on to something more positive. Fosie Menster, what a second half he had. Excellent at both right back and centre back in attack and defence. Um, composed on the ball gave one bad pass away which was a bit nervy and looked to have let them score the equaliser but apart from that just sensational a good cross for the goal a goal line clearance too to keep us in it and keep us in the lead he's managed to progress from under 18s to under 19s to under 21s seamlessly and look comfortable wherever he's progressed to and the first game I think he came on against Arsenal as a sub for his debut he looked a bit nervous but he's managed to settle into the first team and I don't think I'm exaggerating here. I might be, but I don't think I am when I say he's settled quite perfectly and he looks like he belongs in this first league. Can he carry on here in future games?
1: I don't really see why not. I mean, I think if there was going to be any kind of nerves or any trouble with him kind of settling in, it would have happened already. Like like you said, he looked a little bit nervous at times in the Arsenal game. But even then, we saw flashes of, of what he could do. There was times where he got the ball and some of his... He's just so powerful. I can't believe it. For such a young... A young player to be so powerful at his age is just incredible, really. Like he's physically, he's already at uh, the standard you'd expect of a Premier League fullback or centre back. He said he was brilliant when he came on yesterday, and it was interesting actually. For once, some, something off match of the day is actually something that I agree with. Troy Deeney was on match of the day too last night, and he was saying that he, when he played against Fosu-Mensah for a while in the Man United Watford game, he was just a nightmare to play against because he was constantly harrying, harassing him. And he said almost as soon as, as they were matched up against each other. Fosemence left, left a heavy challenge on him and he said he loved it because that's you know it, it, it showed him that Fosimens was going to be right on him whenever he got the ball and I think that just shows like that's not what you'd expect from an 18 year old you might expect him to be a bit nervous not wanting to commit to any challenges don't want to make a mistake but he just seems to have no fear at all and he's just the latest in quite a few success stories from the academy this season I'm really really pleased for him
2: yeah his physicality is a level above the people in his age group but it's not just that. The composure he shows when he's on the ball is just so surprising. Every every game where he comes in, the composure that he shows. And it's something that we could definitely do with. Because a sort of more physical version of Daily Blind and quicker, maybe not as good in terms of ball playing. But Fosimant really is one of his key attributes that, the ability to play out defence and be calm because he can play in midfield as well. I don't think he is that similar to Rio Ferdinand, but in terms of those key things, he is fairly similar.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've, I've got some stats here. I mean, I wasn't sure whether to compare him to full-backs or centre-backs because he can play both, but I did fullbacks, and obviously he's only played 70 minutes, so we need to take him with a bit of a pinch of salt because it isn't as big a um, kind of sample size. But he actually incredibly has a 100% um, win rate in duels in the Premier League in the, in the, uh, what, I think three or four games that he's played, which is quite incredible for an 18. Yeah. He averages 3.86 tackles one per 90 minutes, which is more than Azpilacueta, Monreal, Kyle Walker or Hector Bellerin can boast. He also has the most interceptions per 90 minutes in, in all of those. And he's made no defensive errors. Obviously, that's only playing 70 minutes. So you would expect that, but I think it just shows like that although he might not have played a lot, he, the way he's fit into the team has been. As you say, seamless, and I think he's done just as good, if not a better job than any one of our senior fullbacks have done at any point in this season.
2: That versatility is really going to help him if Van Hall stays next season, um, and in the rest of this season. In fact he can play right back, centre back, and as a defensive midfielder is, in terms of getting chances under Van Hall, he loves that, doesn't he? I mean, you show it with Daley Blind and Marcus Rojo. He, he particularly signed Rojo so that because he wanted a centre back who could also play as a full back and that's partly why I think he still kind of persists with Phil Jones as well because he can play centre back, right back and central defence midfield. Overall, the game was fine, wasn't it? Nothing special, but the before the game, the pre match was genuinely pretty special. So Bobby Charlton, what a brilliant way to come commemorate who I think is our greatest player. And he was so moved, he was in tears, or oh, he had. Tears in his eyes standing in the centre circle and he just stood there applauding the crowd like he never wanted that moment to stop and it, it really was a perfect way to honor him. He might not be seen as the best in ever in terms of quality, best Ronaldo Cantona, in the greatest ever ahead of gigs and his way he was so he was so moved by it that he just stood there applauding and his wife quickly had to move him on before we were delayed by kickoff for about five minutes.
1: Totally agree, yeah. I think he's definitely our biggest ever legend ahead of ride gigs as well you know, 249 goals from midfield is just incredible. And I think it really was the perfect way to round off kind of his time at Manchester United because, he, you know, he's still so involved in the club. He goes to every single game. And for him now to be able to sit in that director's box with his name written emblazoned on the stand above him, I think is just such a a really nice touch and a, a fitting way to tribute who is, I think, our biggest legend ever. And it was lovely to see him really immersing himself in that. And as you say, he was... On the verge of tears by the time he was walking off the pitch. So I think to see someone still so involved in the club after all these years, everything he's done for the club, it was great that he now has a permanent kind of structure named after him. It also raises the question of, uh, who will that last stand be named after? It's going to have to be someone very, very special now because we've got the Stretford end, Sir Alex Ferguson stand, and Sir Bobby Charlton stand. There's just one left.
2: Yeah. Um, well, well, and we'll see. Maybe it'll be Anthony Marshall in 20 years time. <laughs> when he scores his 400th goal for the club. (laughs) Uh, In the news this week, United off for China for pre-season, playing twice in less than two weeks against Manchester City and Borussia Dortmund. Louis van Gaal had a huge role in the organisation of the Tour as has been reported this week. Despite rumours over his future, Van Gaal got the talk continually decreased in length and intensity very sensibly. Planned so much that training could take place at 7am or 9pm to get the least humidity. It, as I said, it, it does seem very sensible, even if he's not in charge under Ferguson and Moyes it seemed that they just sort of signed off on whatever happened and didn't really think about the consequences of four weeks in China playing ridiculous amounts of game in the humidity but whether it's Van Gaal or someone else to start next season will be much easier to deal with because of that Angel Di Maria and Louis Van Gaal have had a small bout of words in the media this week Uh, Di Maria told BBC's Football Focus that it was Van Gaal's fault he couldn't settle because he continually changed his position Van Gaal said Di Maria lacks self-criticism, Di Maria has a point that he should have probably been used in his best position but I have to side with Van Harle he was bought for a, a club record fee refused to learn the language continued picked up little muscle injuries virtually at the end of every game and for 60 million no matter if it was too much or not I expected one of the best players in the world a catalyst for greatness at our club someone to finally fill that number seven void and instead spineless went to league one what do you think Jack?
1: I have to side with Van Harle there as well I think if you're a 60 million pound player Even if you're not playing in your exact best position, whether you're playing through the middle or maybe wide right or wide left, you still got to show us all why you're worth £60 million. And apart from one or two moments when he first joined, I don't think he ever even got close to doing that. And at the end of the day, he's in a team of 11 players. And if the manager puts you somewhere that maybe isn't your exactly favoured position, you still got to perform on the day. And it seems for half the season that he was just uninterested and that he had PSG on his mind for pretty much the whole season. You know, I do have some sympathy with him because maybe, you know, we don't know what was said in the negotiation. Maybe he was promised to play in a certain position or maybe he just assumed that he was because he was probably the star name in our team. But no, I, I have, I, I have little sympathy for him. And to be honest with you, I think PSG was the move he wanted all along. We came around a summer before PSG were winning to, and he thought he'd give it a go. But I think he always wanted to go to Paris.
2: Yeah, that sounds about right. Another lambasted player, Maren Fellaini, thinks that the huge criticism on him constantly could be because he signed alongside David Moyes. Again, he has a point. He's definitely over-criticized, as we've discussed a lot on this podcast, uh, since starting. He's the opposite to Deemery, really, isn't he? Uh- a player that works incredibly hard but has a distinct lack of talent. Jesse Lingard says he still gets advice from Rio Ferdinand and Sir Alex Ferguson has labelled Marcus Rashford as one of the best in years from the United youth setup. set up. Nemanja Vidic insists that United must and will focus on themselves instead of Guardiola and City and we actually mentioned this in our manager special which we'll release at some point in the next few weeks. Vidic has got it right here hasn't he that we can't be focusing on Guardiola or City and just need to focus on it and try to win the league ourselves and not pay attention to them
1: I, I couldn't agree more yeah there's no point in us worrying about what manchester city are doing or might do in the future we just need to focus on ourselves and make sure we do what's right for us because if we just make decisions based on what they do then i mean we're just playing into their hands to be honest um so no, i know t- i totally agree with vidic
2: and jack Carvalho. And our players been doing this week
1: well as always as it seems there was one standout from ashley fletcher who not only scored at the weekend, but that was at Wembley in the final of the Johnston's Paint Trophy. He scored wild and had a great game for Barnsley as they won the trophy, being Oxford 3-2 in the final. So congratulations to Ashley Fletcher and Barnsley. It's great to see the second uh, United Loney actually winning some silverware after Victor Valdez won the Belgian Cup with Standard Liège a couple of weeks ago. Elsewhere, it was a bit more depressing for, unfortunately, for United loan players. James Wilson played 48 minutes as Brighton drew 2 2 with Burnley. A bit of controversy in that game, thanks to Joey Barton, who else? But Wilson was a bit of an isolated figure for a lot of the game. Did nothing wrong, but nothing spectacular. Nick Powell is currently out injured at Hull. They did win 4 0, but he obviously wasn't involved due to his injury. Uh, Dean Henderson, the goalkeeper on loan at Stockport, unfortunately wasn't in the squad. Uh, they lost 2 0. Tyler Blackett, again, how many more times can we say how stupid this loan appears? Um, he's completely frozen out at Celtic, hasn't had a minute in months. Um, they won 3-1, I think they're now seven points clear at the top of the Scottish table, but unfortunately Blackett has no part to play. And at this point, we might as well just recall and put him it back in the under-21s because he's not getting anything out of being up there on his own, not getting any minutes. Kieran O'Hara and Victor Valdez both didn't play at the weekend. Valdez wasn't actually in the standard league squad and Kieran O'Hara went back to his role as a sub-keeper in the Malkin squad.
2: Yeah, Kieran O'Hara had a great two games. while well, the first team keeper was suspended. A bit disappointing not to see him allowed a chance to continue. Ashley Fletcher, what a low move he's having. A bit of silverware. Valdez, as you mentioned, got a bit of silverware. Maybe Blackett, if he stays till the end of the season. Maybe he'll have a title win, won't he? Right, let's move on to previewing the Tottenham game at the weekend. A big game this. If we win this, the chances of top four are very much increased because after this, our running for the rest of the season is okay. Although I guess given our record against the small sides and against the big sides, that's probably a bad thing, isn't it?
1: <laughs> yeah. Why can't we play the top, uh, the top seven for our last seven games? That would just be, uh, perfect the way we've, 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 we've played this season. But no, it, it would be a big step forward. Good feeling, I think around the, um, around the club at the moment. Obviously we were really disappointed to go out. Liverpool in the Europa League. But then that that derby win at City was really, really big because it just took us all out to the international break on not a high, but feeling feeling upbeat. Um, it's always nice to get one over on your rivals. And then that win against Everton was good as well because the kind of games you need to just keep that momentum going, you know, we didn't play brilliantly, but we got the win. It just increases the fans, I think, like good-ish feelings at the moment. So if we can beat Tottenham, I think, as you said, definitely the top four is uh, on the horizon, possibly. Manchester City, don't know they're running off, like, exactly, but I'm pretty sure it's tougher than ours. They're very inconsistent this season, so who knows what may happen. Obviously, they've just got Kevin De Bruyne back, which may... Yeah, that's a that's them. a big
2: thing. They've got West Brom at the weekend. And I, they've got them at home, so it's likely they'll win, but Pulis has got West Brom uh, doing very well defensively. They beat us, didn't they? Absolutely. So, <laughs> but the chances of the top four for us are lessened hugely by the return of De Bruyne. I mean, he saw the weekend. Granted, they were playing Bournemouth, but the, the impact that De Bruyne has on that side is incredible. I think he was not injured for the whole of the season. I guess other factors went into it. The Guardiola announcement, I think they would have had a quite a large chance of maintaining their title challenge. In terms of the, the Tottenham game itself, two of the best defensive sides in the league. You say that, but also Tottenham are one of the best teams to watch. Uh, United less so. Uh, it's quite obvious who we have to worry about. Harry Kane. i uh, would give to sign him for United? And even the Hale won't be able to stop him, will he? Um, we saw with England that this week against Liverpool, Kane just constantly finishes into the side netting. He beat he beats Noya, he beat Mignolet, and he beats Evron just by finishing so perfectly into the side netting. And his his ability to turn people could be very dangerous against Smalling because. We've seen, I think it was against Newcastle in the 3 all when he, Smalling gave away a penalty. He just likes to grab people, doesn't he? And if Kane turns him, then Smalling could be grabbing him very quickly and getting booked or sent off. But Kane's obviously the big threat. Anyone else? Maybe Ali and Dyer? Take Pochettino as well, wouldn't we? <laughs>
1: <laughs> take their whole, whole team, the whole club at the moment. Um, no, yeah, I've been really, really impressed with Tottenham the whole season. Um, We've definitely got a lot to worry about defensively against, against them. And that's the thing, although they do obviously have that standout player in Harry Kane, it's not just him. It is a real team effort at Tottenham. There's no real obvious weak points in their squad, you'd say. I just said they've been brilliant defensively going forward. They're, they're really fluid, quick tempo. It's, it's going to cause us a lot of problems. I think our midfield pairing in that game is going to be really, really important because if we let them get quick passing into Harry Kane, or Christian Eriksen, or Dele Alley for that matter, then it could really be a tough game for us. I think the key to trying to stem that flow is is really to try and take Dele Alley out of the game. He's so important to Tottenham and he provides that really vital link between like Dyer and Dembele and Harry Kane. So it's going to be interesting, but hopefully we can just come out and play with no fear. If we can play with the same energy that we did against City, we've definitely got a chance.
2: Yeah, if we want to be positive about it, Pochettino's Tottenham have... Never scored against United. Last Spurs home win against us was in 2001. The final day of the season with Glen Hoddle. Based on history, it's likely to be a draw. But based on Spurs, we've got to predict a loss, haven't we? Or are you being more positive?
1: I would say probably a loss. I mean, it's tough to predict that we're going to win because Tottenham are just there just a cut above us at the moment, unfortunately. Obviously, they'd come off. What was a disappointing draw against Liverpool that was a tough game? Pochettino was obviously very disappointed. The only thing maybe is that we could hope is that they may get a little bit nervous, obviously, gunning for the title. Maybe that will haunt them. but. It could work the other way, and they might be even more motivated than usual. So, I would say a narrow loss, probably one 0 or two
2: one. If I'm being optimistic, I'd say draw. So let's move on to some questions. We've answered a few from Noel and from Danielle. Liam Head asks: Is the year considered a success if United managed to win the cup and finish fourth? What do you think?
1: Ah, <sighs> uh, it's a tough one. If you offer me, in, if you're offering me that right now, then then yes. If you'd have offered me it at the start of the season, I probably would have said no because doesn't really represent much progress from last season. You know, we were in with the shout of winning the cup last year, obviously one bad performance against Arsenal ruined that. Um and obviously we still finished fourth last season. I think after the money we spend after the guarded optimism, I think it's fair to say that we all had going into the start of the season, we were all quite excited about perhaps where where we might be able to go after kind of last season back in the Champions League. Then I think it's not a success But from where we were at Christmas, it could have been far worse.
2: Yeah, as you say, if you'd offered me that either now or even in November or December, I'd definitely take it now. But at the start of the season, yeah, guarded optimism is probably exactly the right phrase. We just had a very good end to the season, or not end to the season, but a very good April uh where we beat City 4-2, beat Spurs 3-0. So we did a very good April and we went into the start of the season thinking this could be another great year. Maybe Van Gaal will keep his promise, get us fourth, then win the league and then win the Champions League and it, it all came crashing down. So now, yeah, obviously we take it. But at the start of the season, it can't be considered a success because of the position we were in at the start. Jack Hazard asks, who should leave the side in the summer? We've just said that Blint definitely can't leave. Narrow this down because there could be a lot of people who could leave. Two players who you want to see leave in the summer.
1: Oh God, you put me on the spot here. I would say Rojo. He doesn't really offer us that much right now. There are better available options out there as a backup left-back and or centre-back. You know, he's had enough chances at United. He's never really taken them. And so I don't really see why he should deserve to, really to stay any longer. As much as we've defended him, I think it is now time for Maran Fellaini to move on. I think, although he's nowhere near as bad as most of our fans make out, his career just isn't destined to be at Manchester United, unfortunately. He's not the kind of player that, that will thrive here, I think. It's all the stranger that he gets so much game time because his style really is like the polar opposite to what Van Gaal is trying to create, as much as we all don't like it. And so, yeah, I think it's just time for him to move on. He's wasting his career. At Manchester United really because if he doesn't play then obviously he's not getting any game time when he does play the fans will hate him so I think it's time for him to move on
2: yeah I'd back that up Fellaini got to move on and I respect him hugely for the way he's stuck at it and despite all the criticism from the fans he's still working hard on the pitch but yeah I just think he has to go Rojo yeah uh, there are definitely better options out like there I think we need to buy another versatile centre back if he's going to go and it'd be a very quick turnaround but Matthew Darmian hasn't been. I think we need a better right-back than Darmian, whether it comes next year or in a few seasons of time. He's definitely not the Gary Neville replacement we were expecting after that great form at the start of the season. Dan Ancetta asks, this is non-United, did El Clasico live up to your expectations? Is it the best rivalry in football?
1: It's the best game in terms of the quality that's on the show. I think it always will be, or at least in the foreseeable future, will be kind of like the, the pinnacle of the game in terms of the personnel involved. The game was good to a point. I was hoping for maybe a few more goals. The El you know, Clásicos in recent years have often been really lively affairs with just goals aplenty because both teams aren't amazing defensively. But I mean, it was it, it was okay. It, it wasn't um, the best Clásico I've ever seen, but no, it was it wasn't too bad. The bit of late drama as well always helps. So no, it, it was pretty good.
2: Yeah, I, I don't know if it's the best rivalry in football, but it, it's certainly the best game to watch in terms of entertainment, as you say. Uh, I although, think the best
1: rivalry in football has to go to uh, Boca Juniors and River. Yeah,
2: Boca River is probably the best. And then Celtic Rangers is a, a classic. And obviously United, Liverpool, uh, the one we're in, is brilliant as well. And then Fenerbahce Galatasaray, simply for the sight in the stadium. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Colin at Rochanalo, again, asked the question, if you had to choose, would you take top four and keep Van Hall? or finish outside of the top four and get Mourinho in. Given I don't want Mourinho in at any cost, uh, but obviously I take top four and keep Van Gaal. If I'm looking at it from a neutral point of view, it's quite hard. You either love Mourinho and want him in, or hate Mourinho and definitely don't want him in. Uh, So if you're looking at it from neutral, it's very hard to, but it'd probably be best for the club if we didn't finish in top four and get Mourinho in, in terms of quick success.
1: Yeah, I was having trouble with this one as well. I think thinking on the same lines as you, I don't really want Mourinho, but I think if we brought Mourinho in, he would then guarantee top four for the next couple of years. And I'm not sure we could guarantee top four the year after if Van Hal was still there. So I think for the sake of the club generally, although I don't really want Mourinho, I think it would be the better alternative to Van Hal staying, even if we weren't playing Champions League football.
2: Right, that's all we've got time for today. Thank you very much for listening to Series 1, Episode 13 of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. As we mentioned on the previous episode, we now surpassed 10,000 plays, so thank you very much for all your support. And we still haven't got the managerial special up for you, but it's almost edited, and we'll get that up for you as soon as possible. A quiet week where we don't have any replays. Hopefully we can get a result against Tottenham. Jack, where can we find you on Twitter?
1: At Tate T-A-I-T.
2: And you can find me on Twitter at Harry Robinson64 or the podcast at UTD Weekly Pod Pod. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye.
0: Rashford. Possum Manson takes over. And a dangerous ball finds Marsh out at the far post. And he gives Manchester United the lead. A landmark goal on some Bobby Champions Big Day. That's well, their first attack of the second half. Of their few attacks of any note in the match, to be honest. And if anybody was going to make a difference, it looked like being Anthony Martial. That's the 1000th Premier League goal scored here at Old Chapel. Sports Social Podcast Network.